so that nobody would know who he was. And we live in a world where everybody, I want you to know what I did. And listen, how often does the pride of life drive wedges into every situation? Don't you know what I did for you? Don't you know how hard I worked? Don't you realize all that I sacrificed so that you could do this? And I'm here to tell you, my friends, it's a temptation to a false identity about who we are. I always tell people the only thing that you need to know about yourself is who God says that you are. Lots of people are doing what's called clout chasing these days, trying to get to the top of the heap in whatever field or endeavor they think is important. Though the descriptions changed, it's driven by the same old thing, pride. Pastor Daniel's teaching will remind you that this was Adam and Eve's undoing, and it's ours as well. You'll learn that Jesus was tempted to do the same thing by Satan himself, but Jesus resisted him and passed the test. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Matthew chapter 4 as he continues his message, Jesus was tempted. Okay, now look at what happens here. We'll look at the first temptation. It says this in verse 3. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So the first temptation we have is the temptation from what the Bible calls the lust of the flesh. The tempter comes and he says, if you are the son of God, if you are the Messiah, if you are the promised one, the savior, then command that these stones become bread. Now, this is the temptation for the lust of the flesh. Why? Because Jesus was hungry and starving to death. Did you ever see someone when they haven't eaten all day and then you put a meal in front of them? We just did this yesterday with my 18-year-old, Obadiah. Like he was hungry. It was like he was like an animal. He's like, mm, mm, you know, he's like just shoveling it in. So this temptation, it really boils down to that he was hungry. Now, the idea of the lust of the flesh, I, I need to talk about this, because the word lust in our culture always denotes sexual desire. But the Greek word literally means a craving or any passionate desire. It doesn't have to be good or evil. It's anything that there's intense cravings of. Some of your new translations have the word desire in there. But really it says that there are these cravings, these wants, these desires that are very real. Doesn't mean that they're necessarily bad, but this is called the lust or the desires of the flesh. Now in the same way, when we think of flesh, what do you think of? You think of skin. The Bible defines flesh differently, and literally the flesh in the Bible is our nature that wants to live in rebellion against God. It's us doing things without God in our own way. So it's not skin. It literally means like it's being experienced through our bodies and through our souls and through our minds and through who we are. But really, it's us wanting to live not in accordance to God's perfect plan, but in accordance to us, whatever we want. So the desires of the flesh is any time that we have an intense craving that we want that doesn't line up with what God wants for us. So we're giving into our flesh nature. 
So really what's going on here is there's nothing wrong with Jesus eating if he wants to break his fast that way. But really what this is about, it's really what Satan is doing. Because the way Satan tempts all of us is he wants to call into question some aspect of who God is. So really what he's saying, Satan here is questioning God's provision for Jesus. He had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And so what we have here now is he's saying, look, if you're the son of God, if you are the savior, then you need to take care of yourself because God's not taking care of you. And what's interesting about this is that Jesus answered Satan pretty simply. He says, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. A person doesn't live just by physical food, but we actually live by everything comes out of the mouth of God, God's word. And what's so fascinating about this is, could Jesus have turned the stones into bread? Absolutely. Remember, he turned five loaves and two fish, and he fed thousands and thousands of people. He turned water into wine. So it wasn't a question of did he have the capacity to do it. The question is, is he was being tempted to give in to his own hunger pains and to do it himself. But then Jesus answered, and I love this, because Jesus used the word of God to fight against the temptations of the enemy. And my friends, listen, this is why as a church, for all 47 years of Crossroads, and until Jesus comes back, this is going to be a church that opens the Bible, reads the Bible, studies the Bible. We teach it on Sundays. All of our ministries teach the word of God. Why? Jesus didn't need to find his Bible to find a verse to fight the temptation. He already knew the verse. And because he knew the verse, immediately he's like, oh, no, no, no. Listen, I don't only need bread. A person lives by the spiritual nourishment of God's word. And he's saying, I'm nourished by more than just the things of the physical. That's what he's saying. And the same is true for each one of us. Listen, your life is nourished not just by physical food and shelter. The creature comforts are not all that makes life, but it's the spiritual reality of life is what makes life truly beautiful, art. All of that is because of the reality of the things of the spirit. And so Jesus was so aware of that. And so he battled the temptation with the word of God, which is exactly what each one of us needs to do. You need to know whatever your areas of struggle are, you need to know scriptures that fight against it. So let me give you an example. I always quote this to myself because if left to my own devices, I can be a grumbler. You know, the grumbler, that's one of those words, what is an onomatopoeia, which sounds like what it is when you go, like the Yosemite Sam, suffering, you know, some of you know this well, right? Well, the Bible says, do all things without grumbling and complaining. (laughs) I know that verse well. I quote it to myself all the time. Something goes on, like when the tree falls out of the stand. And I want to blame one of my kids for putting the ornament on too hard, but really it's because I'm just a knucklehead and I didn't make it right for them. And it's like, no, no, do all things without grumbling and complaining. Why are you complaining? What's the problem? Everything's fine. So you need to know the word of God so that it helps you fight against the temptation. Like, so listen, if you have a potty mouth, I think that's the nice way to say it. You know what I mean? The Bible says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Now, I know this verse because I am a reformed potty mouth person. You know what I mean? I grew up where Jesus' middle name was an expletive and it begins with an F. Okay, that's the way I was raised. I heard it all the time. Don't think of it in your head. Just if you don't know what I'm talking about, just let it go. You know what I mean? To the pure, all things are pure. And so like literally when I grew up, when I got saved, I'm like, I shouldn't be talking like this. 
But I did. It's a habit like everything else. And so it's like, you have to have those scriptures. I remember when I started walking with Jesus and I come out of a party background and I saw in the scriptures, do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit. I memorized that. It's Ephesians 5.16. Why do I know that? Because I had to preach it to myself over and over and over again. Because every time I wanted to get myself under the influence of something other than the Holy Spirit, I needed to bring up that verse and fight against it. So I didn't do it. And so you need scriptures to fight against your temptations. And all of our temptations are different, but one is the same as we all have temptations. So, you know, if you are someone who has a tendency, you're such a good Christian that you think you're better than all the other Christians, then you go take Philippians chapter two and you memorize that whole thing. Let this mind be in you, which is in Christ. This idea that Jesus was humble. He doesn't think himself more highly than he ought to. He sets his mind on things above. Or you take a good old Matthew chapter seven, verse one, judge not lest you be judged. For that whatever measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Why do you think I know those verses? Ha, 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 Fighting my own garbage with the word of God. I can do this all day in all these different areas of life, right? Like if you want to be a little shady with money, unequal scales is an abomination to the Lord. Wow. Like so there's all these verses that help us. This is God's heart for us. But you have to be willing to own what your garbage is to go find the scriptures so you can say, I'm going to fight that garbage with the word of God. Now, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, as it relates to the lust of the flesh, it says that the woman, Eve, saw that the tree was good for food. She saw that it was good for food. Now, what's funny is, is it was good for food. And the body needs food, so it's the desires of the body, and it's okay. But the only problem was, is the whole garden was good for food. They lived in Costco with no checkout. And God said, you can eat everything. You, like, everything was a free sample. Except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were not allowed to eat it. So it's not that there was no other food there. It was just this one tree they weren't allowed to eat. But she saw it was good for food. And because the body needs food, and outside from under the authority of Jesus, now all of a sudden she's walking in the desires of the flesh. Do you think Satan stops with just one temptation? You can't get Jesus? Of course not. He's at least a little resilient. Look at what happens next. Picking up in verse 5, it says, Then the devil took him into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now, what we see here is the temptation that comes from the pride of life. Now, if you think about the pride of life, the pride of life is me or you wanting to look good on your own. Now, let's just be honest. Our culture gives into all the desires of the flesh because we don't know Jesus and we're living now. But our desire to be seen as good, competent, smart, successful, you put the whole list together, that's the pride of life. The pride of life is me wanting the world to see that I am, insert whatever the thing that you want into it. And so much of our culture, especially in our contemporary culture, is driven by this. Now, if you look at the temptation, Satan somehow, you know, he whisks Jesus into the holy city and he puts him on the pinnacle of the temple, which was the highest part of the temple. So according to scholars, about 200 feet in the air. And he says, listen, if you are the son of God, if you're the Messiah, I want you to prove it by throwing yourself down off of this pinnacle. And then he quotes Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. See, Satan's funny. He's like, oh, if you're going to use scripture to fight me, I'll give you some scripture. I'll play scripture chess with you. And he says, listen, if you're the Messiah, God's going to give his angels charge over you. 
And in their hands, you're going to throw yourself down, but they're going to bury you up because you're not even going to dash your foot against a stone. You're not going to splat on the ground. Now, you can imagine for Jesus, him being at the temple, the temple was always full of people, full of activity. And if someone jumped off the pinnacle of the temple and just landed, no problem, like kind of like, not gravity, but like slowly, like angelically goes down and just kind of like steps down, like super nice. Like everyone would be like, whoa, like if there was video of that, Jesus would go viral in an instant. And really what he's saying is like, if you're the Messiah, show everybody because you can try and hurt yourself, but the angels are going to protect you. And really, what is Satan questioning about God's character? He's really questioning God's protection. Like, will God really protect you? We'll know if it happens. But what we find here is that the temptation that Jesus experiences is what we all experience as well. Now, what's interesting, let me comment on this real quick about the word of God, because I love the Bible, but I also realize that the people have used the Bible to prove and disprove everything, both good and evil, as long as people have known the Bible. And there are, I'm here to tell you, there are all sorts of things going on in the name of Jesus today that have nothing to do with the heart of Jesus. Why? Because Satan knows our Bibles better than we do. So Satan rolls the scripture out of Jesus. Like, oh yeah, let's do this. Here you go. Here's some scriptures to prove why you should do this. But what's amazing about the way Satan uses scripture is he always uses it either omitting something or out of context. Now what's amazing is if you go back and read Psalm 91 verses 11 and 12, Satan omitted one phrase from him quoting the verse. And that phrase is simply, let me, I'll just read to you. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. He omitted that line. In their hands they shall bear you up lest they dash your foot against a stone. The angels will keep trying. They will keep you in the way that you're supposed to be going. See, that's the thing. He's saying you can do whatever you want if you're God's son, he's going to take care of you. It's like, no, no, no. God has a way he wants us to walk. And when we walk in those ways, we exist within the safety that God gives us. So by omitting that one phrase, it can mean anything. It'd be like, man, listen, I can go toss myself off of the Hawthorne Bridge and God's going to protect me. No, no, don't do that. It's one thing to trust God. It's another thing to step outside of his will, thinking that that's what God wants, testing God, tempting God. And so really what he does is he takes God's word and he takes it out of context and he removes pieces of it and he tries to apply it. So you always have to be diligent to make sure. I always think of the Bereans, Acts 17, 11. They search the scriptures diligently to see if these things were so. Make sure, is it true in context and in the greater context of scripture? So Satan used it. But then Jesus, of course, he comes around. Jesus says, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And I love that. That's Deuteronomy 6, 16. He doesn't know. You can't test me. You know what I like about this, which I think is really interesting? It's the pride of life, right? And just to close the loop, in Genesis 3, 6, it says that Eve, she saw it, she said, and the fruit was desirable to make one wise. See, that's that pride of life again. If I eat the tree, then I'll be wise. I'll be smart. People will know that I understand things. But here's how the pride of life works. And I think that this is very important. So we live in a day and age where, I just read this. There's a survey of high school students and they ask, you know what the number one job high school students want today? They want to be a social media influencer. That's the goal. Now listen, don't judge the kids. You older people, we created this world for them. So it's really all the kids are, you know, oh, the kids are, no, no, we made this world for them. So rather than judging the kids, they're living in this world. We created this world for them to live in. But the thing is, is so much of the influencer world, and I, and I can talk about this as somebody who has a, a decent-sized social media platform. I'm here to tell you, 
that so much of what goes on there, it's all just the pride of life. All the research coming out about social media, you post something, you get the dopamine rush when you get a like. If people don't like or they say something bad about your thing, then you get all undone. I'm here to tell you, all that is all evidence of the pride of life. Why? Because it's you trying to establish an identity that is self-styled. It's you saying, I want people to know that I got together. I think LinkedIn is the perfect case of the pride of life in action. I laugh sometimes because I look at people who worked at Crossroads and I go look at how they talked about their jobs at Crossroads. And I'm like, oh, like the buttering. I'm not knocking anybody. But the buttering up of your job to be way more than you actually did. I start laughing. I'm like, nobody's being honest. It's like, instead of saying I straightened up the shelves, you're like, man, I reorganized an entire department. (laughs) This is real, isn't it? This is real. But it's all the pride of us. Like, look, look at me. Look at how great I am. We live in a day. It's tragic. We see influencers on the internet who everybody knows and they're dying by suicide. And you say, well, why? Because I'm here to tell you the pride of life will never satisfy a human soul. It never will. And what's funny about the way Jesus responds to Satan, when you are the Messiah, you don't need to prove it to him. Jesus doesn't need to prove to the devil that he's the Messiah. He's like, yeah, guess what? You can't tempt the Lord your God. (laughs) Like, he's like, I'm God, you're not. I'm not playing this game with you. It's funny, it's the same way God responds to Job. Even though Job was suffering so tremendously, God doesn't come and explain everything to Job. He's like, Job, where were you when I created and made everything and sustained everything so profoundly? Because when you know who you are, you don't have to prove it to anybody. I tell my kids this all the time, especially my son, because, you know, he's 18 now. And we're talking about like if people are treating people bad, I'm like, listen, the weakest person in every room is the bully. I'm like, someone who's strong doesn't need to put someone down to make themselves feel better. It's the person who feels weak. They make other people feel bad so that they feel better. I'm like, if someone is being rude to other people, you should stop and say, hey, you should stop that right now. You don't need people to like you like that because you already know that you're a child of God. See, I'm here to tell you, Ron says, listen, you don't need to prove who you are. You need to be who you are. When people are like, I swear to God, I wouldn't do it. That's how I know that. It's like, oh, if you need to swear to God to make the point, you know that you're lying. Come on. Like, you don't need to do that. In the same way, imagine if Michael Jordan and LeBron James and Kobe Bryant, the trinity of great basketball in my generation, is sitting right here in the front. And there's a basketball hoop. I'm like, I don't believe you guys are in the Hall of Fame. I mean, Kobe, I couldn't say that to you, but you know what I mean, if you know the story. But anyway, I'm like, you have to prove to me that you're LeBron James. Let's play one-on-one. Do you think he's going to get up off the pew? <laughs> no, he's not going to get off the pew. Because it's like, he's already six foot 11. It's like, you don't need to prove it. And that's what I love about Jesus, because Jesus knew who he was. The temptation to the pride of life didn't tempt Jesus, because he knew who he was. He knew what God created him for. He knew that he was God's chosen one. He didn't have to prove it to Satan by jumping off of the pinnacle of the temple. He didn't need to go viral. What's amazing is Jesus did all these miracles, and he said, whatever you do, don't tell anybody I did it. Don't tell anybody. Jesus was the exact opposite of wanting to be an influencer. Jesus did everything so that nobody would know who he was. And we live in a world where everybody, I want you to know what I did. And listen, how often does the pride of life drive wedges into every situation? Don't you know what I did for you? Don't you know how hard I worked? Don't you realize all that I sacrificed so that you could do this? And I'm here to tell you, my friends, it's a temptation 
to a false identity about who we are. I always tell people the only thing that you need to know about yourself is who God says that you are. Your parents, your kids, your neighbors, your core, they can think all sorts of things. And don't get me wrong, we're all growing. So we all have growing edges. We already established that. So just because someone calls you, hey, like, you shouldn't have said that. Like, after service, if you say, Daniel, you you should have said it that way, I would probably most likely say, you're absolutely correct. But I get the pleasure of sitting with a microphone on talking to you. I'm going to say something's wrong. But I'm trying. You know what I mean? So it's not about you get everything right, but it's about people want to tell you who you are. They want you to prove who you are. You don't have to prove anything if you know who you are. And if you don't know who you are, you have to prove everything. And that's the problem. This is a problem with our kids. And not just our kids, because it's going on in the older generation as much as the younger generation. Everyone's online trying to show that there's something. What does it matter if people who don't know you like your picture? And what does it matter if nobody cares that you feel like dancing in your kitchen to a song that everyone else is dancing to? Like, dance or don't dance. But don't worry about it. Do it because it's fun and you want to, not because you're trying to get something out of it. But the pride of life is pretty insidious, isn't it? It happens all the time, but Jesus isn't buying into it here. He knows who he is and he's walking through it. Now look at the third temptation. Verse eight, it says, again, the devil took him up onto an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. So finally, the third temptation is we see the temptation that comes from the lust or the desires of the eyes, right? So Satan takes Jesus, he takes him up onto this high mountain, and he shows them all the splendor of all the nations and all the glory. And he says, listen, if you will just worship me right now, I'll give them all to you. So the idea of the desires of the eyes is for most of us, if our eyesight is fine, our interaction with the world comes through our eyes. We see things, and then we're like, oh, that's cool, I want that thing. You always think of the story of David when he sinned with Uriah's wife Bathsheba. He saw her bathing and it would begin with the seeing of her. That's where it begins. And so again, we have this idea that what we see as we interact with it on the inside, it could create intense cravings. Now, what is Satan showing Jesus? He's actually showing Jesus what God has already promised Jesus. Remember in in Psalm chapter two, it says, Ask of me and I will give to you the nations for your inheritance. But really what Satan is saying to Jesus is he's questioning God's promise to give him the nations. But he's saying, but guess what? I'll give it to you now without the cross. I'll give you the glory without the cross. And he's using what Jesus can see as the driver for it. Jesus is It's hard to imagine going 40 hours without food, let alone 40 days. But Jesus did that. And of course, the devil was right there, ready to try to get Jesus to do something out of character for him. This was one of the points that Pastor Daniel was going to make in his teaching today. As redeemed sons and daughters of God, we don't have the same character that we used to. We have access to God's character. And with his help, we can resist temptation too. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I just want to say thank you for tuning in. I'm so stoked you're a listener of Jesus is Real Radio and I know Jesus has amazing plans for you. 
I'd love to hear the story of how God's working in your life. Give us a call here at Jesus is Real Radio at 360-256-4655 or email me at real at danielfusco.com. We're so glad we can be a part of your life through the ministry of Jesus is Real Radio. Would you like to be a part of what we're doing? We would like to ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this program. Your contribution, no matter the size, will be used to reach people with the gospel message. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Just click on Give. Thank you for partnering with us. Join us again here on Jesus is Real Radio and Pastor Daniel will recount one of the more famous stories of Jesus in his next teaching entitled Jesus Wept. You're going to hear the story of Jesus raising his good friend Lazarus from the dead. Pastor Daniel is going to talk about the culture of that time and how unusual for a man to cry in public, putting himself at risk of being thought of as a weak man. Sound familiar? We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Vulnerable God. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.